Good morning. My name is Tommy Allen, and welcome to the live stream for New Hope Presbyterian Church in Kent, Washington. Uh, we're glad you're here. It's March 29th, and basically what we're going to do today is I'm going to do a modified worship service. Uh, mostly it's going to be a sermon. I remind you as we um, move throughout this sermon that our associate pastor Samuel Weems will be in the chat room. He'll be posting things for you, and this is also a time for you to be posting maybe prayer requests or comments and if you would like us to pray for you during the week um, which we still do via zoom um, what we'd like you to send uh, your prayer requests to hello at newhopekent.org so with all of that said uh, let me open us with a call to worship from isaiah chapter 43 <clears throat> but now thus says the lord he who created you o jacob he who formed you o israel fear not for i have redeemed you i have called you by name and you are mine when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that as we gather, even virtually, that your spirit would come and open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray um, that as we are in this time of... Um, crisis as a country, even as the world, um, that you would end this uh, virus uh, quickly. I pray, on the other hand, that you would uh, enable those uh, who are affected by it to be healed and to, to get well. I pray that you would um, help people to be sustained in the midst of, of job loss and all these other things. Father, I pray that as, even as I look to your word, that you'd be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so this morning we will be looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. And before we do that, um, what I'd like to do is ask you a question, which I often do uh, when I preach. And so the question is this, how often do you think that you lie? And for what reason do you lie? You all do, trust me, I know you do. Um, I'm going to tell you how many times. Um, basically, the average person lies about 1.5 times a day. I mean, that's a, those are significant lies. If you're between 18 and 44, the average goes up to five times a day. Where am I getting all this stuff from? Uh, National Geographic. And actually, National Geographic, it was, I think it was May, May 8th or May 18th, a uh, couple years ago, posted a, a study about lying and they also have a quiz about what kind of liar you are and we're going to post that link at the end of this sermon but, but basically what they in this study they determined was the reasons people lie i'm going to give you the the small reasons first so seven percent of lies are just they don't know why people just lie um, two percent of people the reason that people lie is pathological four percent of lies are malicious 2% of lies are people just being polite. Uh, I think that's a lot higher, to be honest with you. 5% is altruistic. You're trying to help somebody. Like um, Judy and I just watched Jojo Rabbit, and the, the, there's mom in Jojo Rabbit in Nazi Germany is hiding a Jewish girl, right? So that's altruistic lie. And then, of course, 5% is just all about humor. So some people lied that way. Like, for example, um, when Judy says, man, Tommy, you're really hitting that dessert tonight. And I say, well, Judy, you know, when you exercise like I do, you need to do that. That was a lie. 
but I said it to make her laugh, and it most of the time works. A lot of times it doesn't, though, to be honest with you. All that said, 80% of the lies that we tell, and they fall almost 40%, 40%, fall into the realm of either um, protection or promotion. We're trying to protect ourselves, we're trying to promote ourselves. And so we're gonna talk today about lying. We're gonna talk today about honesty, and also we're gonna talk, interestingly enough, about profanity, because profanity and honesty, at least in the Bible, are tied together. So I want you to remember a couple things as we are, are going through this text. We're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the Mount is not about uh, what it means to be a good person. And it's not about, uh, it's, it's not sort of a recipe. Do these things and be a good person, and therefore God will love you. The Sermon on the Mount is about those who have followed, decided to follow Jesus. They realize that God loves them, and now they're saying, well, how do you want us to live? That's what we're talking about now. And up to this point in the Sermon on the Mount, among other things, this section we're looking at, Jesus is sort of diving into heart issues. And so, so far we've looked at the issue of anger, we looked at lust, we looked at divorce and anxiety. And of course today, as I said before, we're looking at um, honesty and frankly profanity uh, because see, for Jesus, uh, profanity happens when honesty doesn't. So we're gonna look today at three things uh, in this passage. We're gonna look at the reason for oaths the pervasiveness of profanity, and finally, uh, this whole issue of telling the truth. Jesus says at the end of this passage, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So with that said, let me read to you um, today's text. So Jesus says in verse 33 of Matthew chapter 5, he says, again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the first thing we're going to look at this morning, the reason um, for oaths. So let me read you verse 33 again. Jesus says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, some of you, depending on what translation of the Bible you're following, it might say oaths and some translations might say vows. And so I thought it would be good to sort of distinguish between those two. At the end of the day, the application is pretty much the same. But what is an oath? An oath is basically an appeal made to God, calling him to witness a statement in connection with an event. In other words, you, we've all watched television shows and crime shows where someone goes to court and they put their hand on a Bible and they ask him if they swear to tell the truth, so help me God. And they say, I do. They're calling God to witness their promise, which they made publicly. Now, what's the difference between that and a, and a vow? A vow is basically a public promise to another person or to God. And the most common vows that you probably are familiar with are wedding vows, right? So a couple stands in front of everybody and they make promises to each other so the witness to those promises are actually the the congregation and so at the end of the day the application of both of those is the same because the question is whether you're going to honor the promise you made either with god as a witness or with other people as a witness so today's the what jesus is talking about here remember jesus has basically um, throughout the sermon on the mount he'll say an Old Testament law, which he believes, 
and then he'll, he'll elaborate. And so what he's doing here is he's summarized three different passages, and I'll just read them to you instead of flip around. The first one, Numbers 32, verse 30, chapter 30, verse 2, he says, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Deuteronomy 23, 21. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. Ecclesiastes 5, 4 and 5. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. So there are lots of vows in the Old Testament. There are vows in the New Testament. And in and of themselves, vows and oaths are not bad. The question is why we need oaths and vows. And the reason that we need oaths and vows is because lying is a problem, right? I mean, if, if, if no one ever lied, we would never need an oath and we would never need a vow. We would never need to make promises that we're going to tell the truth. And so what oaths and vows are is really their barriers against lying. And so here, what Jesus is doing here is he's correcting the way the barriers were used. You see, the religious leaders in the New Testament time, what they tended to do um, was make elaborate rules and make elaborate rules that they used there in order to skirt the law, to get around the law, rather than to obey the law. They, and, and in this case, the religious leaders had created a complicated system of vows and oaths so that if you weren't familiar with them, you were, couldn't be sure what they were talking about, right? If, as I was reading it this week, it reminded me of the, the legal system. If you show up at, at a deposition or something without a lawyer, people will think you're crazy. And the reason they think you're crazy is because the law is so complicated, you're not sure what's even going on unless you're super familiar with it. And that's what Jesus is, is getting at here. So let me give you an example of what he's talking about in Matthew chapter 23. Jesus, it's a, it's a section that, that on top of your Bible, it'll say seven woes of the Pharisees. And Jesus says to them, he says, woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and him who sits upon it. Now, just as a side note. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible and you're unfamiliar with Christianity and you're unfamiliar with Jesus, if you read through the New Testament, what you're going to find, he's a lot harder on self-righteous religious people than he is on sinners. In fact, he's not hard on sinners at all. In fact, that's why he came back to our passage. So Jesus is basically what he's, he's getting at with these, these Pharisees is that what at the end of the day, what they have done is they have broken the third commandment. And the third commandment is about profanity. What's the third commandment, right? Third commandment says, you shall not take the name of your, the Lord your God in vain. We tend to think that means putting the word damn after the word God. That's not what that means. To take the Lord's name in vain is to actually make a promise that you don't intend to keep. 
And they would say, well, we're, we're, we technically speaking, we didn't promise God, we promised upon the altar or we promised upon the temple. And Jesus said, if you even promise at all, you're invoking God's name. And that takes us from the realm of just a lack of integrity to actual profanity. And they would say, we technically didn't, we, you know, we're technically not breaking this rule. And Jesus anticipates that, which is why he, he continues in this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, and he, where we look at the pervasiveness of profanity. Notice verse 34, he says, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, or by, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. So what we, we're, we learn here is that profanity, taking the name of the, God's name in vain, is, is less about cussing and, and more about honesty. It's less about um, the word choices we make and more about the word choices we keep. So for example, I was thinking, Judy and I, uh, uh, probably two years ago, the main uh, pipe from the street to our house broke. And we found that out because we got our water bill one month and it was like $500. And we were like, Skirt, what do we do about this? And so we called up our plumber. Now our plumber is an interesting guy because he is one of the most salty people I've ever met in my life. So he pulls up to the house and he has his you know, hands around his waist and he's checking things out and the water line's broken in the house. And I, you know, I greet him, hey, how's it going? We'll call him Salty. How's it going, Salty? And he's like, blankety blank, I can't believe the blankety blank water vein broke from your, from your street to your house. And he's like, what I can do is I can take the blankety blank people and we can dig a blankety blank hole and we'll get that blankety blank fixed up. And I trust me, at the end of the day, you can trust my blankety blank work. Now, was that rude? crude and maybe socially unacceptable? Sure. But you know what? He did exactly what he was said he was going to do. He fixed the pipe and it has been perfect and nothing has happened. So he made a promise and he kept a promise. That's good. What if he said, now it's going to cost you this amount of money, Tommy, will you pay this? And I crossed my fingers and put it behind my back and said, sure, I'll pay you that. And then never did. And then he called me up and I said, the check's in the mail. That is profanity. Breaking your promise is worse than what just a, maybe an occasional four-letter word that comes out of your mouth. Now, am I actually advocating that? No, because I get in trouble with all the parents. But parents, let me ask you this. Would you rather have a kid who occasionally slipped with what comes out of his or her mouth or a kid who lies all the time? You see, at the end of the day, we understand, I think, in our hearts what true profanity is. It's the lying that is the problem, not always just our words. So, by the way, a little advice. This is another side note. Don't do your taxes the week before you have to preach about integrity. That was tough this week. Because the next thing we're going to look at is telling the truth. <laughs> so Jesus ends this passage. He basically says, let... Let what you say be simply yes or no, and anything more than this comes from evil. That sounds pretty evil, right? Easy, right? The Jesus, here's the answer, right? The, the positive outworking to do not lie is to simply tell the truth. Easy peasy, right? Not so much. I don't know if any of you have seen it. You're, you're, you would do well to see it, but um, 
I watched the movie Liar Liar this week. And I did it for you, of course. Um, the whole movie Liar Liar um, stars Jim Carrey. He's a, a, a lawyer named Fletcher Reed. And it, in some ways, it could be a parable. Jesus could say, let me tell you a parable. And he, and he showed this movie to people. And basically, Jim Carrey's character, Fletcher, is just a liar. He lies about everything. He lies, you know, he, he lies about nice stuff. He's polite. You know, when he comes into his office, there's a guy who's, who's morbidly obese. And he says to him, looking good, Jim, right? Lost a few pounds and the guy feels good about himself. And then, you know, a little bit later, the receptionist, she has her hair done in such a way it looks like a coronavirus. And she says, what do you think of my hair? And he said, basically, it looks awesome. You're good. And he walks away. He lies about everything. But he also lies about promises he's going to make, especially to his son, Max. And so his little boy, Max, is constantly disappointed in the fact that his father lies to him about showing up for his birthday and this and that. And so Max wishes at his birthday that his dad could, would not be able to lie for 24 hours. And his wish comes true and it ruins Fletcher Reed's life because suddenly he can't lie. Suddenly he has to tell the truth all the time and every situation he comes across, he tells the truth and it gets him in trouble. Now, what's interesting is he's, he's constantly in trouble and you think his life is being ruined by constantly having to tell the truth until one point in the movie, the point in the movie where everything changes for Fletcher Reed, where everything starts to turn around, where reconciliation happens, where forgiveness happens, everything is when he is finally honest with himself. In other words, his son makes his wish. He's telling the truth to other people and they're getting upset with him. But finally, he tells the truth to himself and everything in his life starts to make sense. He tells himself at some point, he says, Fletcher, you're a horrible father and you're a liar. And as soon as he starts telling the truth to himself, he actually is able to start healing and telling the truth without having to be compelled. And the same is true for us. I mean, basically, we will have integrity to the extent we're able to be honest with ourselves. Are you honest with yourself about who you are, about what you are, about, about what you've done? To the extent you're able to do that is the extent you'll be able to be honest with other people. Remember the National Geographic study I opened with? That um, basically, if, we, if we're honest, we'll realize that most of the lies we tell fall into two categories. And the category is protection or promotion, right? And so what do I mean when I say we tell lies because of protection is that when someone asks us something, um, we tell a lie sometimes because we're afraid that the consequences of the truth will be worse than the, the consequences of being caught lying, I guess. So we lie to pr protect ourselves. Maybe you, maybe you, you took your, your parents' car when you shouldn't have taken it and they come home and it's parked in a different spot and they say, did you take my car? And you say, no because you're afraid to get grounded or something like that. The other is promotion, right? We lie because we want to look good in front of others, right? So, so you know, I, maybe I'd say, woo, I can't, all that time I spent at the gym today. You know, I didn't go to the gym today. Of course, I haven't been to the gym since coronavirus broke out, but I want people to think that I work out all the time. I want to look good in the eyes of other people. Now, here's the thing. The only thing that I know of that, that meets our need for both protection and for promotion, at least in the spiritual realm, at least in this, this psychological realm, when it comes to being able to be honest and have integrity, is the cross of Jesus. That's the only thing. What do I mean by that? 
Well, because of the cross, we don't need to lie for protection anymore, right? There'll be justice for our sins at the cross, and our lying is borne by the one who called himself the truth, and because he's paid for all our sins, we don't have to lie about them anymore. Do you get that? That, that when someone comes and says, Tommy, you are the worst sinner who ever lived, you can say, yes, you're right. I am the worst sinner who ever lived. But Jesus came to save sinners, not the righteous. You see how I was able to tell the truth there because of the gospel. Also because of the, the cross, you're now completely and utterly acceptable to God the Father. In other words, all of us desire to be, to be liked. All of us want to be accepted. All of us want to be sort of on the inside. And because of the cross of Jesus, Jesus became a complete outsider so that you and I could become complete insiders. You want to talk about promotion. Well, what happens at the cross of Jesus is all of our sins are given to him and all of his goodness is given to us. And now God the Father, for those who would trust in Jesus, sees that person as being as righteous as Jesus. In fact, you are enthroned with him, Ephesians say. You don't get much more promotion than that. And the more we understand all of this, the, the more that, that we're able to, to embrace this, the more that we're able to preach this to ourselves, the more we are able to actually uh, have integrity the more we are able to actually be who we are, be who God made us to be, instead of constantly trying to protect ourselves or constantly trying to promote ourselves. You know, I thought this morning what I would do by way of practical application and by way of closing is I would actually tell you the story about how I became pastor disaster. You see, basically, for those of you who know me, you hear me oftentimes call myself pastor disaster and there's basically several different reasons that people guess that why tommy why do you call yourself pastor disaster some people guess you know well tommy you were in a ranger battalion for four years and you like to blow stuff up and then you became a pastor so that's a cool name pastor disaster and other people will say whoa tommy you really like to blow stuff up in the church <laughs> what a disaster that's why you're called pastor disaster some people think well, Tommy, goodness, you just wrote a doctoral thesis called Guarding the Flock in the Age of Violence. It should have been Guarding the Flock in the Age of Virus if I had had more foresight. But people think to themselves, wow, that must be why he calls himself Pastor Disaster, because he's all about mitigating disaster in the church. And while all of those have some truth to them now, that's not how I became Pastor Disaster. See, basically, I joined the Army when I was 17 and spent four years in a Ranger Battalion. And basically, in a ranger battalion, um, among other things I learned was basically how to show affection through verbal provocation. <laughs> and so when I got to college, I, be, I joined a small Presbyterian church and I started hanging out with other pastors. And at some point, I'd read a Christianity Today comic that had a, the, the, with a pastor and his nameplate said Pastor D period Z-A-S-T-E-R, Pastor Disaster. And I thought, haha, that's funny. And at some point, I met another Presbyterian pastor who was super tightly wound. And I, at some point, I met him and I'm like, Pastor Disaster! And he said, don't you dare call me that. And I said, really? Because what I heard him say was call me that every time you see me and yell it at the top of your lungs, which I did. And he couldn't stand me. 
So now fast forward, I became a pastor myself. And, and at some point in my ministry, I screwed up bad. I mean, I made mistakes, I told lies, and I was asked to step down from my pulpit. And you know what, I wouldn't have had to be asked because I didn't think I deserved to be there anyway. And I left the ministry. I became a drug rep. And that was it. It was over for me. So here's this guy, Tommy Allen. He's no longer fit for anything except to, to maybe be with his family, and that's it. And at some point, my church asked me to come on staff. And I thought, you know, I don't think I'm fit to be a pastor. And I was driving around. And at some point, um, I was listening to the, to the New Testament, and I heard these verses from 1 Timothy. And the Apostle Paul says this. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. In other words, it hit me that maybe God was calling me back into ministry, not because I was so awesome and handsome and gifted, although there might have been something to that. Um, <laughs> Right? See there, I just lied to make you laugh. Um, that he might be calling me into ministry, not because I'm so awesome, but because he wants me to be the example of the perfect patience of Jesus to other people. And I thought, you know, I can do that. And it's at that point I became pastor disaster. You see, I understood that what qualifies me for ministry is not because I'm pastor awesome and not because I'm pastor have my act together, but, but because I am actually pastor disaster. I am the chief example for those of you, at least in my church, to see the perfect patience of Jesus. And because of that, I'm free. Because of that, I can tell the truth. And the more that you uh, embrace the gospel, you also will be free. So think about that. Let me pray. And after I pray, I'm going to do uh, another profession like we did last week and a benediction. So let me pray. Father, I pray that as we consider this Sermon on the Mount, that you continue to open our eyes to see things. I pray even this week that you would enable us to see that we are free to tell the truth. We're free to be honest and we're free to, 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 to be who we are because of what the gospel has done for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. So normally at this point, in the service, if we were at church, we would sing the doxology and we would take an offertory. And I'd remind you, those who are members and supporters of New Hope, um, I'm assuming Samuel's put links in the comments. There are places if you want to give online. Let me close, almost close, with this. Um, I was going to do a profession for, about the third commandment on profanity. And I thought in, in this, this time that we're in with coronavirus, it'd be better to do one with that gave a little hope, then gave a challenge. And so I'll remind you from the Heidelberg Catechism, the question 27 asks this, what do you understand by the providence of God? And the answer it gives is this. Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which he upholds as with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade and rain and drought fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things in fact come to us, not by chance, but from his fatherly hand. Amen and amen. As we finish today, I simply say the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Amen. Have a good week.